You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. This is Tom Selig. I'm a senior vice president of a bank. I used to be a lawyer. I like to make connections, and sometimes amazing things happen. That's what this podcast is about, when the magic happens. On today's episode, I'm welcoming Matt Degner. Matt is the Iowa City School District Superintendent of Schools. I met Matt in the past uh, year at serving on the Iowa City School District Foundation Board, and uh, I've gained great respect for Matt, both uh, as a professional and as, as a nice person. I'm excited to have him here today to share his story. You know, I always think you're like the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I always try to talk to him about, or I have talked to my kids at different times about, like, who's your personal board of directors? Who are the people that would pick up the phone for you and give you advice or guidance in that situation? If you had a problem, who would you invite to sit at that table with you and talk to you about that problem? So stick around. We'll be right back. This episode of Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank a community bank since 1893, providing full-service banking and trust services to businesses and consumers, nationally recognized by Raymond James as a top-performing community bank, prioritizing community, responsive to local needs. West Bank, member FDIC. Well, good morning. I'm excited today to have Matt Degner here. Matt has become my new best friend over the past few months. I'm anxious to learn more about uh, what he's up to and where we're going with the school district. I'm just glad you consider me a new best friend, being that I like the Cubs and you like the Yankees, Tom. So we I, need I to remember we'll that have to get along for a little bit today, at least, yeah, right? The best friend designation lasts about a week usually. So the, uh, you're you're on you're on a roll for this week, but I'm, I'm sort of fickle. So All right, well, I'll I take what I can get next week. Yeah, maybe I'll grow it into a month. We'll see. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast, and I'm anxious to learn more about your background. So why don't you start off with how you got to Iowa City Schools and your current role? Sure. Well, thanks, Tom, for having me in today. It's been great to get to know you and and see you in uh, some familiar spaces here. Um, Yes, uh, Superintendent of Schools of Iowa City Community School District. So how did I get here? I uh, began my education career in Williamsburg, Iowa, as a high school social studies teacher, uh, taught 712 Uh, 7th through 12th grade, Um, you know, and in a small district, you're kind of like the social studies teacher, right? So you teach everything um, that was all the way from senior American government to uh, 7th grade current affairs, um, honors American history, uh, economics uh, in there. And so uh, left you and I with an all social studies endorsement, hoping to make myself marketable. And it, it did get me a teaching position in Williamsburg. Uh, interestingly enough, my wife had grown up in Williamsburg until she was a freshman, so we had a, a few roots there and a few relationships still in place. Um, and so really, I had a great eight years in Williamsburg. I was I taught for four years and then was able to move into my first administrative position in Williamsburg after my fourth year of teaching, and I was the assistant principal for the 712 building there, primarily working with our, our junior high age uh, students. And then after eight years, um, we uh, took a chance and went to Bettendorf in the Quad Cities, and I was an associate high school principal uh, in Bettendorf for two years and uh, really felt like that experience um, modeled to me how to uh, do leadership. I felt like I had known a lot of the things I would like to do in leadership and, and kind of felt like I knew the stuff but didn't maybe know how to actionalize it or how to always put it in practice. And so that team was outstanding for me. I, I give a lot of thanks to Jimmy Casas and Joy Kelly, who were my uh, co-workers there at the time. Jimmy was the high school principal and Joy was the uh, the other associate high school principal and learned a ton from them. 
uh, and then had a chance to come to Iowa City. Uh, interestingly enough, when I started my teaching career, I lived in Iowa City with my wife and she taught in Lone Tree, so we'd always kind of commute opposite ways every day. And on my commute, I always drove by Southeast Junior High. And I always thought, well, wow, that, you know, just looks like a great school. I'd love to, you know, maybe have an opportunity to be there someday. Well, Southeast Junior High was uh, posting a principal position. And uh, I wasn't really super sure I wanted to leave Bendorf at the time because I just loved it there. And it was having a really great experience, but um, had this uh, itch to, you know, just try and, and didn't know if when Southeast would be open again or when something in Iowa City would open up again. Um, and really felt like I could make an impact uh, there on, on uh, the students and the staff. And so applied and I was lucky enough to get into that uh, position. And uh, that was about 2013, 14 uh, that I came to Iowa City. I'm starting my ninth year in Iowa City, uh, spent two years at Southeast Junior High and then moved to the district central office after that as uh, director of secondary schools, assistant superintendent, started off last academic year as the interim superintendent and then moved into this role in January of 2020 is that right 2021 would have been this year yeah it's just been it's just been a few months yeah it just seems longer because of uh the pandemic that we all you know experienced and worked through during that period of time but i've just really uh loved iowa city loved the community um and i think um the purpose that kind of drew me to uh this role or drew me to wanting to be here in iowa city originally at southeast junior high involved um, making sure that our public schools work for all kids and uh, really serving a group of students, which is uh, becoming more what our uh, society is starting to look like and our state's starting to look like, and especially our, our school district demographic here. And so making sure that we could create systems and um, outcomes for kids uh, that, that guaranteed success moving forward. Oh, great. Well, let's stop for a second talk about your family. I think your your wife is a, is a teacher, and you have three children. Tell us about your family. Sure, yeah. So they've been all along for that ride as well. Um, my wife, Kate, is a, a junior high uh, math teacher uh, at Southeast Junior High. Um, she got her Ph.D. in mathematics education at the University of Iowa. Um, and then she, when we were in the Quad Cities, was a professor at St. Ambrose University, um, but has really felt her calling is, is serving young people too. And so she's uh, a full-time teacher there at Southeast, uh, super happy to be back in the classroom and, and doing that every day. And so that's been a, a neat experience um, as well for her. I have three children. Uh, Jack's a sophomore at City High School, uh, or will be a sophomore at City High School. Uh, Liz will be an eighth grader at Southeast, and then Alice is a fourth grader at Lemmy Elementary. And uh, they've they've really enjoyed their experience here too, and um, get involved with all the activities and the friends they've made. And and so it's been a it's been a nice opportunity for our family. Well, great. Well, you got all three. Uh grade level schools covered right the elementary yeah, you know, junior high drop-offs are no longer easy anymore you know nobody's <laughs> going to the same i think we right. had one year where they were all at uh, we had uh went to lucas uh, actually before lemmy uh jack and liz spent majority of their elementary career at lucas and there we had one year where everybody got dropped off at the same building and then after that it's been <laughs> it's been a mess for drop-offs you know i'm sort of old as you know and in, in the old days um the schools started about the same time but now with the buses and stuff and i have you changed things in the schools that the elementary schools start sooner and high schools start later. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so there was a calendar change that happened, um, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago, uh, I think is how far we're into it. But our secondary schools start closer to 9 a.m. and our elementary schools uh, closer to roughly 8 a.m. And that is to, to, to tier the busing uh, so the bus can 
go back and run another route. So they drop up yeah. the elementary kids first and then do their secondary routes after that. Yeah. We're good. So staggered starts and staggered end times. Well, uh, why don't you give us a sort of a brief summary of uh, the dealing with the COVID-19 situation, the virus and part-time school and virtual schools and, sure. and masks. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. conversation. Mm-hmm. I just met with my cabinet team this morning and we were talking about you know, whatever kind of return to a more normal environment we're feeling like um, we might be re-entering. But at the same time, we're really looking for what opportunities we can take from lessons learned from this pandemic, you know, to inform our work moving forward. And and I think working through that, it really taught us um, that we can come together and we can do really big, hard things in a short period of time if we really have a collective goal, a collective vision and mission and center our work around that. And so how do we transform that into what we know is our challenge about making our systems work for all kids in our school district? That was a lot of our conversation this morning. Uh, as we went through the pandemic, uh, we really just felt found ourselves in an environment of constantly responding to the new change in front of us. Uh, that goes all the way back to February um, of that year. I remember standing in the Liberty High School Auditorium and telling a group of families and their kids that they weren't going to be able to go to Europe uh, for their uh, foreign language or world language trips. Uh, and, you know, a lot of shock and disbelief that was coming from that all the way to February 15th of this school year where the governor says, you know, everybody's back to school five days a week. You know, that's the option we need to provide. And really through all of those, we just, I I was so super proud of our team about how every week was different. Every month was different. We would just respond. Like you said, we had multiple models of school going on, a virtual program where kids were served all through online. Sometimes our whole district was online uh, learning at that point. Uh, The different COVID uh, numbers that would come in our in our community about positivity rates and how that would cause us to respond and react. But the, I think the, the thing our community should be the most proud of is, is how we all came together and really worked through that. Uh, not, you know, it's not a situation any of us has to be in, but from the board level all the way down, uh, there wasn't complaining and hand-wringing and we're not going to be able to do this. It was just about how do we do this next thing now? Uh, and working through that. So, of course, that creates system fatigue and uh, some challenges as you go along. But at the same time, uh, we just had a tremendous group of educated uh, profession- or professionals providing education to our students. Right. So, and the good news, I guess, is that there's never never a serious illness. I mean, it's a, in the past year in the schools, right, as far as someone getting ill or someone dying or anything, you managed through all that. Yeah, we, we felt very fortunate uh, for as far as the the COVID infection rates um, that that our students or staff experienced. Uh, we did have some cases of, you know, different uh, at points, uh, students that were seriously ill or uh, staff members that had become seriously ill. Uh, but I think we did the best we could on the health and safety front, uh, trying to take, again, all of the direction and guidance given to us from the state, what we t- felt was best locally at the time to do. Um, a lot of health and safety mitigation efforts put in place throughout the year. And um, from collaborative work with our teachers association felt really strong about the, you know, the, the plan we were able to put together and how we persevered throughout. So this fall, I assume we're a sort of back to normal. Are there still options for parents to have their kids to go virtual? What's, what's the plan this fall? Yeah. So parents can still elect their kids <laughs> to be in our uh, PK 12 online learning program. We hired an outstanding new uh, principal of that program. His name's Luke Dillon. He's coming to us from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and he's also going to serve uh, halftime as a director of equity um, and instruction for us in the district. So we're uh, really excited to welcome Luke uh, to the district and all the skills he's going to bring. But parents can enroll their students into that virtual 
option uh, for the year. We're asking for at least a trimester commitment uh, in that scenario. Uh, and then otherwise, yeah, coming back to school, it's going to be the five days a week, uh, fairly more normal experience. Uh, to We'll still have some health and safety mitigation efforts in place, I'm sure. But as you guys have known, you know, just as you go out and restaurants are open and, you know, some of the larger gatherings are opening, uh, we are seeing a more return to normal. But, um, you know, we've um, had a really successful vaccination uh, program for our staff in the spring. Uh, we know that high percentages of students have been getting and receiving the vaccine uh, for the age groups available. So, uh, but for parents that for whatever reason, you know, think that online learning still might be best for their students, there is that option available to them. And the whole mass thing gets a little confusing. I'm assuming the situation, masks are not required, but they are permitted. Is that, is that the current position? Yep, masks would still be permitted. Um, you know, we were still encouraging the use of masks at the end of the year. Uh, the legislature had said that we could no longer require masks at school, and so we, we can't take a stance of requiring uh, the wearing of masks, but uh, certainly if, if students want to wear them, they can. If they choose not to, that's their choice as well, and, and we've worked hard to make sure that all students feel comfortable with that choice as they move forward. Uh, and so we'll be kind of interested to see um, the percentage of students that sure. decide to do that here in the fall. Well, good. Well, let's move off the, uh, the pandemic and sure. uh, talk about the district going forward. I know there's a uh, surveys out there about capital improvements plan and mm -hmm. so what's uh, what's the plan there as far as further improvements to our buildings sure so i think a great success for the district was the first facility master plan it was a 10-year plan that we completed in eight and a half years so uh something you heard us say a lot of different times at uh, board meetings was on time and on budget uh, and we ended up being um, under time and under budget in both those categories. So we got it done quicker and spent less uh, than we thought we would need to to accomplish all those. And so we're super proud of how that first facility master plan came together. Uh, that was a geo bond supported uh, facility master plan. The second plan that we're um, engaging the community with now doesn't require uh, a bond, a general obligation bond. Uh, what we're really going to be asking for is the, just the extension of two um, levies that we already have in place, uh, the PEPL and the mm -hmm. revenue purpose statement. And so in this uh, November at that election, we'll just be asking the community to extend those two for us. And so they fund different things from facility projects to some of our PEPL life cycle items, uh, technology or vehicle replacement would be things people might think about in those life cycles. Um, so we've, we feel like that's a, a, a solid position to be in. Uh, it's a, it'll be a simple majority vote. Uh, and asking the voters to consider that. And I would say the cool thing about our second facility master plan is we're going beyond some of the basic needs that we had to take care of in FMP 1.0, like getting you know appropriate uh, HVAC and air conditioning into all of our buildings or just doing some massive renovations to older uh, elementary campuses to now, okay, how does this actually align with our teach and learning vision and mission in the district? And how do we create spaces that really facilitate those opportunities for our students? And so a lot of the engagement we're doing with the community now is thematic based and around how the guiding principles that the board has set, uh, some of our portrait of graduate work we completed this spring, how does it inform what we want to do in this next round of construction? I guess the plan is you'll, the district is still growing, more and more students are coming. So you'll need more elementary schools, maybe another junior high. Is that looking out five years, that the plan? Yeah, I think that all of those things are, are topics of the conversation, Tom. Uh, when we consider, you know, really what the that next iteration looks like, we do believe we're 
uh, going to be a growing district for a long time. We did um, have 280 less students in our enrollment from this last year with COVID, uh, which would have presented us a significant budget challenge and still could if we don't recover enrollment wise. Uh, but we, we feel confident that we'd been growing in enrollment for 20 years in the district. And so mm -hmm. that is most likely attributed to COVID. Uh, so as we move forward, we know that we're going to continue to grow. We're above 14,000 students now. We anticipate we'll get above 15,000 students in the near future. And so then how do we make sure we have enough classroom spaces to serve all those students? And if we're serious about conversations around preschool and early childhood education for students, that may influence how we talk about our elementary campuses. Uh, how do we serve all the junior high students we had, like you talked about? So uh, some of the conversation we're having in the community around junior highs or middle schools, you know, what's your what's the appetite for those conversations and how can that lead to uh, some of the, you know, different learning uh, approaches that we'd like to take for our kids as well? Yeah. Well, it's an exciting time and it's been a mm -hmm. challenging year, but it, I'm impressed just as a uh, observer and former parent that the school district has moves down the road and things have changed. There's equity issue you have to deal with it's been it's been impressive so I, I'm, I'm i'm delighted that you're you're here and leading Thanks. this uh, this effort let's talk about you some things about personally so um sure what do you do in your spare time if you have a spare time do you, do you have hobbies are you a sports fan or are you gonna read books what uh, tell us about who you are yeah a little bit of all of those so um you know i'm a huge sports fan uh in particular areas i i love watching the the Cubs most of the time when they're not losing a lot of games in a row like they have been here recently and right. approaching the trade deadline. So uh, kind of a Chicago fan in general. You know, I grew up with Michael Jordan and the 85 Bears and some of those things. And so uh, probably Bears and Cubs is really where I, I would pay a lot of attention in mm -hmm. sports. And, um, you know, my my family's interested in that. And so we have a lot of connections over that. I like to get into Chicago for games and events. Um, I'm a fisherman. And so that's actually what I love to do in my uh, free time uh, when I get it is uh, just going to the lake and trying to turn off the phone for a little bit and disconnect and and do that. Uh, we used to take family vacations to Leech Lake, Minnesota every summer as a, as a family growing up. We'd camp for the week and fish, and uh, so I still get a chance to get up there once a fall usually with my brother and my dad. Um, but like to just fish around, you know, in the Iowa lakes and do some of that. And my kids have taken to it. They, they like it a little bit. So that's been a, a fun hobby for us to share together. Reading, I, I love to read too. I, I probably don't do it enough. Sometimes I end up on Netflix maybe more than I should when I should open a book. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, whether it's reading about leadership or some of my, you know, early interest in education around history or government, you know, I, I still follow some of those things uh, a lot of times. But reading for leadership, I think, is probably where a lot of my time is spent now and, you know, the art of good leadership and trying to learn from others that have um, in different fields, not always just education. Right. I mean, I think we can learn from each other because we, we're all leading people and, and trying to motivate and inspire people to do more and be more. Uh, so those are a few few of the things I like to do, Tom. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had any good fishing spots. I'd love to hear them. So No, I'm not yeah. a fisherman. I, I, I never yeah. learned how to do that. I always wish I was. I yeah. hear these stories about fishing and fly fishing. I thought. I should. I should yeah. learn. I'm a little old to learn all that now, but no, it's. Uh, I'd still teach you. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I may. Yeah. I may call you to take take me fishing sometime. Okay. All right. Yep. We'd love to do that. So Lake McBride's one of our favorite spots to get to here, just just north of town. I live on the east side of town, obviously, with my kids going to east side yeah. schools, and so it's a little quick trip for us to go up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Now, what about uh, movies or TV shows? Do you have any favorites you can reveal to us that? Uh, you sure. Enjoy? I'm not sure I should say all of them live on a podcast. Here. Okay. That might tell too much. <laughs> Be about careful, me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just use one that I actually used with the team this morning because I like the concept that came from it. But I'm watching this show Startup on Netflix, and it's um, 
this group of entrepreneurs that are really trying to move forward. Um, their their product is called GenCoin. It's kind of like this idea of the bit currency, right? And this electronic currency. And their big push is that they've got to be first, right? That they've got to be first to market. It doesn't matter if they have the best one and it works all the best, the back end, all this, but they've got to be first. And so sometimes I think about that in terms of what's happened to public education in the state, uh, that it's been easy to um, kind of bemoan public education or talk about all of our faults and failures. Uh, but really, I think we own some of the part of that problem that we haven't shared all of the great things we do, um, that we did feed all of, uh, all of our kids throughout the pandemic, that when, when there was a social problem, they still rely on the social institution of public education to fix it, that we do as a society. And there, there's a trust factor in there. There is some element of trust in a, in a belief that we can uh, fix those societal ills that are that are poised upon us. And so I think that's important for us to remember that if we're first with some of the good things we we're doing, I think that shapes the nature of how people see us and, and what we do serve to the community. And so how do we tell our story better? Uh, of course, we have a long ways to go with disparate outcomes and, and serving our structurally disadvantaged students. But we also do a lot of things right. And I think that's, that's part of the story that also needs to be part of it. Because if we only focus on our problems, we're just going to continue to see more problems. And so we also need to look at our opportunities and our strengths if we want to see solutions to those things where we're not doing as well as we'd like. Well, it's amazing what the schools do. And that's, as I understand, schools even feed the children during the summer, last summer. There was that effort. If you yep, all to, through the summer, uh, you, we've the continued to, led that effort. Yep, continue to have different sites uh, this summer that uh, students can still pick up meals, and the federal government's been great about extending that. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with that extension, and does that go into perpetuity, or you know, do they eventually sure. end that? But right now, it's been uh, free meals, and we've been able to continue that through the summer. Well, good. Uh, one of the things I talk to my children and grandchildren about now is about uh, rules of life. And I have about 100, so they've sort of complained about that. So they want me to whittle it down to two or three. So uh, do you have anything like that you share? Do you have any basic rules of life you share with your children? Uh, the issue is when, yep. w- when, when you die and they're, they come to your funeral, what's the one, one thing they'll remember that you've told them? Um, this kind of goes back to some of my time in Bentendorf was the uh, joy was kind of the first one to share some of this with me. But, you know, I always think you're like the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And uh, so I always try to talk to them about or I have talked to my kids at different times about like, who's your personal board of directors? Who are the people that would pick up the phone for you and give you advice or guidance in that situation? And who are those folks that are closest to you? And if you had a problem, who would you invite to sit at that table with you and talk to you about that problem? And so I always kind of take it from that standpoint. And even your, you know, connecting it to like the funeral, what would they say about you? Who show, who would show up, right? right. I mean, I think about that too, like who's going to come, you know, in that instance. And who were those people in your life that informed your thinking, your compass at different times? Uh, and who are you inviting in to, to kind of know you at that most vulnerable level? Um, and so that personal board of directors is a concept that I heard that's worked for me that I always come back to. And uh, because at some point, you know, did they listen to mom and dad for everything? Probably not, right? They're going to go start having other voices, you know, that start to lead their thinking and, and who are those people uh, that are sitting there. And I'd want that for our employees or for my own children sure. or for other students as well, thinking about who are those voices I'm, I'm listening to. Yeah, well, interesting. Are there any of the other things we, as a, as a community citizen, n- no longer a parent of children, uh, what can people like me do to assist uh, Iowa City schools? 
Sure. And I think this one I'll take back towards like, um, and I'm super passionate about this because I'm a public school guy. I'm always going to be a public school guy. And I just think that's what inspired me to become a teacher. Um, you know, my story is one where public education worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, public education doesn't work for everybody. Uh, but our task has to be all meaning all. And so when I think about what's the best thing a community member could do that, you know, maybe they don't have children in the school or they're not as directly tied to the school as they maybe once would have been would be, how do you support our public schools in in different lenses and in different conversations? You know, recently we've had the state come in and talk about charter schools. And um, for me, that's a little bit of a frustrating approach because we've seen that approach employed throughout the nation for the last 20 years, and it doesn't lead to systemic change and systemic improvement, uh, which is really what our goal is, is we continue to serve more students that we're less successful with we have to crack the code in public schools. And so I think being an advocate for public education is the best thing Mm -hmm. you can do. And you can talk to people about, again, those good things that we do, where we know there's faults, what we can do to try to solve that, that problem. Uh, And so supporting your, your, you know, it kind of is one of those things where it grows out. It's, it's hard to criticize maybe the school I'm closely attached to, then it's easier to criticize the district. It's really easy to criticize the state, but how do we come together and know that we do want our public systems and institutions to work for us. So how do we make them better? Yeah. I don't know. The future is bright. I know it's been a challenge, but as I observe things now in Iowa City and, and this area, it's it's exciting. I see growth all the time because mm-hmm. we're making loans to people who are, you know, developing lots or building houses. And I tease my friends, if you want to stop the growth in Iowa City, Corvo, you can't. Yeah. So stop worrying about it. It's going to keep growing. North Liberty the whole area and it's 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 encouraging i think it's uh and i think a lot of that is because it's a welcoming community that is it's hard to define that but uh you know diversity is a plus and i think the community is working through that very well right now and the schools deserve a lot of the credit so well thanks tom keep up the great work is all yeah. i can say amy one of the deputy superintendents i have two deputy superintendents chase ramey and amy courtmeyer and amy as she talks to her new teachers, always say, you've reached a destination district. And I think about that for our families or when you mm-hmm. talk about the growth, this is a place people come to land, right? And to stay, uh, not, right. it's not a stop, you know, for folks. And I think that's something we should be very proud of as a community. This is people where people wanna come, they wanna raise families, they wanna put roots down and stay. And so I think that's something our community should take a lot of pride in. Well, good. Well, thanks, I've learned a lot and I'm anxious to you know, follow what goes on here. and. Uh, Maybe you can teach me some fishing. I, no, I'm, a, I'm a Yankees baseball fan, so I sort of, you know, the Yankees and Cubs both haven't played very well this year. So no, we can commiserate over. I know that. I know the season. So yeah. Well, thanks for being my special guest today, and um, good luck this fall with the schools. And I'm looking forward to the future. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. Tom's new best friend is brought to you by West Bank. This Corridor Business Journal podcast is produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.